Thanks for joining us on our Liberty Dispatch interviews episode. Today, we are talking about pandemic amnesty. We are talking about forgiveness. We are talking about moving forward after what we've seen and experienced over the last two and a half years. Matt and I got to interview Alex Klusterman. He is the senior pastor at Hill City Baptist Church in Peterborough, Ontario. Alex is a dear friend, uh, a friend of the show. And so we talked with him about pandemic amnesty. We talked about forgiving and moving on in light of some of the things that have been said and done to one another in the last two and a half years. I also want to say that I wrote an article on this titled The Memory Hole and Gnostic Forgiveness. We're going to link to that in the description as well. I'd encourage you to check that out. That's some of my thoughts fleshed out in a longer form. Uh, This idea of how do we forgive and move on and what is real forgiveness and what does real amnesty look like. And so we hope that this interview is a blessing, that it's encouraging. It helps you to make sense of how to move forward, how to interact with people who have maybe said and done and treated you a certain way in the last two and a half years. And we're hoping that bridges can be built, that we can see true forgiveness and true unity. And so enjoy this interview that we had with Alex. Thank you for joining us on this special edition of the Liberty Dispatch. We are joined by our friend, Alex Klusterman. Uh, Alex is the teaching pastor at Hill City Baptist Church in Peterborough. He's also the co-host of the Dominion podcast. They're friends of the show. I've been on the podcast a couple times. You have to go check them out on Spotify, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. Go and listen to their stuff. It's really, really good. You can also read more on dominionpress.substack.com. If you're looking for good, measured, well-articulated responses to theological, cultural issues, you will not be disappointed by what's happening there. And we're going to be talking about pandemic amnesty, about holding hands and making a link around the world where we can all sing and skip and be happy and pretend like nothing happened because we didn't know and now it's time to be frenzies again (laughs) and watch Barney together. So... In my mind, I thought, who better to talk about that than uh, my friend Alex in Peterborough. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the Liberty Dispatch today. Thanks for having me, boys. It's good to, it's good to meet Matt, and it's good to yeah, be with likewise. you guys. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, in thinking about this, this idea of the way that a, a particular portion of the Canadian population has been viewed, those who for various reasons, chose to not comply, to exercise conscience, and to not simply go along with the prevailing narrative. There's a way that we've been treated, we've been spoken about, and Mm -hmm. that's going to be highlighted for us in a brief portion of something I want to read in a bit. Mm -hmm. But now what we're also seeing is this, this switch, this turn, if you will, in the narrative to say, even though we've done these things, and even though we made various accusations, and even though now evidence has come out and we see otherwise, you know what? We all made mistakes. You know, we all said things that were that were wrong. Can we just hold hands and skip along together and pretend like nothing happened? And so mm-hmm. that's when I thought about that. I thought uh, at the top of my mind, who who better to have to talk about this than than Alex? Uh, in light of what we've seen culturally, I thought he'd be a great guest. So uh, what I want to do is I want to read for us first a little bit of a a portion, some snippets from a letter that's been making its rounds in the Canadian evangelical, maybe Baptistic circle. And and, and this highlights a, a particular view of those who, again, for various reasons, whether it was biblical convictions or conscience, informed consent, didn't make certain decisions and decided to operate a certain way and lead their churches in a certain way. There's a way that uh, we have been viewed uh, and there's a way that people continue to view us. And so this letter highlights that. And then I'll, I'll make the connection from that into what we really want to talk about today, which is this pandemic amnesty article coming out of the Atlantic. And, and the, again, this, this spin now in narrative, this, hey, we all made mistakes. Let's move on. So I want to read portions of this letter here. As I'm sure you are well aware, the last two years have left the evangelical church in a state of disarray with lots of people ready to assign blame, but few willing to take responsibility for their contribution in the fray. 
Times like these provide opportunities for various sorts of troublemakers to blow their own horns and to frighten the timid with dire predictions if we do not lend them an ear and adopt their proposed solutions. Rather than engage in the struggle for sanctification, it is far easier to get involved in noisy protests and political activism in the name of Christ, denying ourselves walking in humility, quietly enduring persecution for righteousness' sake rubs us the wrong way and strikes a blow to our inflated notions of self-importance. Activism makes us feel alive, and in such an atmosphere, it is easy to mistake a restless, anti-authoritarianism spirit for the convicting, humbling, transforming work of the Spirit of God. We refuse to, sorry, we must refuse to listen to every discernment blogger or frustrated writer with a Substack account. Alex, you have a Substack account, don't you? It's I'm sure uh, that's just coincid- coincidental. I'm sure it's just coincidental. Sub-emailing right? the Substack writer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or, so forget the discernment blogger, the frustrated writer with a Substack account, or the self-congratulatory pastoral heroes who make documentaries hoping to secure their place in history. Who could, who could this person be talking about? I don't know. That's subtle. I don't know. We'll find out next week. <laughs> Time is short, and there are better things to do than join their throng. Their popularity is ephemeral, and when the dust settles, it will be those who hope in the Lord who will truly shepherd God's flock. That Mm -hmm. sounds so pious and upright, Mm -hmm. and uh, it sounds like the, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those Mm rebel-rousing, troublemaking pastors. Mm -hmm. Look how good I was. It feels that way to me. Um, And the reason I wanted to start off with that or bits from that letter is not because we want to devote our attention there, but that's the framework through which we need to see or uh, how we need to understand pandemic amnesty, because Mm -hmm. the same group that would say, you know, these nonconformists, those who questioned the government, who were distrusting, who blah, 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 whatever, anti this, that same group of people who levels these accusations is almost certainly the same kind of, people, the same group that would say, and now we need to move on for unity's sake. Mm-hmm. Now's not time to say how right you were. Now's not the time to talk about what we knew and what we didn't know. And now's not the time to, now's the time to just in unity, let's move on in unity. Let's center the gospel. It's really got to get centered back on the gospel and only mm-hmm. the gospel. And let's, uh, let's forget all this and let's, let's move on together. So that's, that's the tie, and, and and wanting to talk about this idea of pandemic amnesty mm-hmm. and how Christians are supposed to respond and, and how we need to understand issues of forgiveness and repentance and responsibility. And so that that article really sets it up because that's how we're being viewed by the broader evangelical world and in many respects the world more generally. Mm-hmm. So as we use that as a launching pad to discuss pandemic amnesty alex i'm curious uh although i know i know of a particular person with a Substack who has commented on the letter more broadly <laughs> wink link wink below. but maybe may, <laughs> yeah like it's you but maybe um if even just briefly um as a way to transition into the the broader discussion today give us your thoughts on on that on that 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 letter and and really what that communicates yeah so I mean, a couple points of agreement. I'm glad that he acknowledged that there's persecution. I was actually hearing you say it out loud. It struck me in a way that it didn't when I read it. That's encouraging. Um, I wish they'd acted accordingly and not lied about that uh, beforehand. I also want to say that, that, I mean, I am also anti-authoritarianism and that I am anti the uh, abuse of authority and the distortion of God-ordained authority as well. A couple points of agreement there. Um, the common thread I see between the Atlantic article calling for amnesty without confession and for this reimagining uh, of reality in this letter that you just read is um, an unwillingness to tell the truth and I think that that's rooted in an abdication of author- of responsibility. And I think that this is the natural end uh, of 
men who have since day one abdicated their responsibility as as men as pastors and as leaders and in order to abdicate your responsibility you have to actually um, deceive yourself and others about reality and Zechariah 8:16 says these are the things that you shall do speak the truth to one another render in the gates judgments that are true and make for peace and what the author of this letter and what the author of the Atlantic piece get wrong is that they think we can have peace and maintain lies. And that just won't happen. And, and ultimately, it's a false gospel. Um, if we say that we have not sinned, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. And I think the fundamental issue um, for this man writing, and I don't know if the person who wrote in the Atlantic claims to be a Christian, but... Uh, the fundamental issue is whether we will acknowledge the truth, whether we will take responsibility for our shortcomings and failures, and whether we will seek God's grace. And any attempt to heal and to unify without telling the truth, without taking responsibility, um, is is a false gospel, and it's a false hope, and it won't actually lead to any repairing in the churches. It reminded me, actually, when I read that letter of um, people who criticize the prophets of being disturbers of Israel. And actually what, what people want, and and um, it's mentioned in the book, Live Not by Lies. He quotes an author from, I believe, Eastern Europe, and he makes the point that people thought that totalitarianism was ushered in by tanks alone, but that's not actually true. And that the human desire for peace is as strong or stronger than its desire for, um, you know, than its fear of, of, say, violence or something. And we see the Bible corroborates this as well. We, um, the people in Isaiah's day told the prophets to prophesy to them illusions, to speak to us smooth things. And Paul, you know, reiterates this in the New Testament by saying there's going to come a day when people will gather around them teachers to scratch their itching ears to tell them what they want to hear and um, human beings do not want to hear that they're in danger they don't want to hear that there's a crisis because they don't want to bear responsibility in Isaiah's day it was you need to acknowledge that you know the Assyrians are coming because of your evil and your wickedness and you need to repent and turn back to the Lord and in our day, it's that, look, if you neglect the means of God's grace and the fellowship of the saints, uh, you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we want to be told that there's no real risk in complying with mandates. Um, it's telling that the same people who are um, saying these things have totally overlooked and denied the catastrophic harms that have been caused to people's lives. And I just want to say to this man, I mean, I read the Justice Center's release yesterday about um, uh, a woman, I believe it was a woman who was terminally ill and needed a, a organ transplant, and she was denied because, yeah, her vaccine status, which is Nazi-level hatred. Um, and even with expert testimony uh, in in favor of her in the court saying, look, there's no risk to anyone else. These don't stop transmission. There's there's she's an at risk person like there's medical reasons not to. The judge still ruled against that, essentially saying you should die if you don't get a vaccine. I mean, this is a level of hatred um, that has arisen in our country. And it's not because some pastors advocated for their neighbor and spoke for the oppressed like the bible tells us to it's because cowards um stayed silent and this yeah yeah absolutely and i mean you put it well I, I, looking through the the entire historical narrative in in scripture we see time and time again that in times where the church is at its most bloated its most comfortable at its weakest are the times where the people want prophets that will say peace, peace, when there actually no is peace. no peace. And that mm -hmm. is what this whole amnesty business 
especially on the backdrop of letters like this that are coming out that are just slandering um, faithful men of God as though they're not actually trusting in the Lord because mm -hmm. they're advocating for their rights as Canadian citizens, uh, mm -hmm. uh, because they're interposing between um, a authoritarian, tyrannical government and their people in the church, that mm -hmm. they're somehow ill-equipped to be true shepherds of God. But I know we've all heard a thousand servants, maybe we've even preached them on how the shepherd is equipped with the staff to lead and to, to defend the sheep. And um, too often, especially in our evangelical modern day, where churches want to retreat into their ghetto, all we want to do is bury our heads in the sand, just get together for a few hours, maybe on Sunday, if we're lucky on, on Wednesday, you know, and, and just go about our lives and don't make waves and say peace, peace when there is no peace. Mm -hmm. But so many of these churches, so many of the leaders who have been put into the office have proven themselves not shepherds, but mm -hmm. hirelings, those mm -hmm. who are leaving sheep out in the, the, the cold to be devoured by wolves and to mm -hmm. be, be devoured by uh, tyrants. And instead of beating back those who seek to rape the, the bride of Christ and defile his church, they let them come in. Mm -hmm. And they encouraged it. And they said anybody who sought to defend that bride from being ruined, they're the lawless ones. They're the, the troublemakers. troublemakers. They're mm -hmm. the evil ones. And it's just amazing that we're seeing simultaneously a group of people saying, unity, unity, peace, peace, forgive and forget, while we're also not seeing any repentance. We're not seeing any humility. That's not a, mm -hmm. that's a, not an email written in humility. That's mm -hmm. not saying, hey, this is where we were wrong. This is where we didn't stand up. This is, uh, everybody did something wrong, but this group of men were really, really bad, and they didn't show the right tone or behavior mm -hmm. To, to our subjective preferences. It's really, really, it, it gets at the heart of why we wanted to have this conversation, does it not? Mm -hmm. And it also brings to mind this the, the trope of uh, men who don't go to the doctor's office and they don't want to get it. They don't want to get a checkup. They don't want to get their physical because they're afraid of what they'll find. <laughs> yeah. Right. This caricature of your body is clearly falling apart. And you're mm. like, oh, but I can deal with the pain, but I'm afraid if I go to the doctor, he'll find something wrong with me, and then I need to actually fix it or address it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that that is, a, is an illustration of what we're seeing here, because you're right, Alex, it is an abdication of authority and responsibility. Mm -hmm. but, but more than that, it's also an unwillingness to deal with the consequences of that authority and responsibility and an unwillingness to look and say, what's actually wrong here? Mm -hmm. So anyone can say, hey, we have a difference of opinions on Romans 13. Mm -hmm. But it's another thing to say, did we completely miss something? Mm -hmm. And if so, why? Mm -hmm. Were there other factors that weren't necessarily about biblical exegesis mm -hmm. that led to the, the reason why we did the things that we did and that that goes to your point about the people saying you know the the, the, the dream pleasant dreams give us give us nice prophecies and, and the last thing is stop confronting us with the holy one of israel that's what they say to isaiah mm -hmm. and this idea of being confronted with what we've done wrong or where we're lacking the unwillingness to do that is why that letter feels the way that it does. Mm -hmm. Or it's why in the Atlantic article is let's just move on, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We all made some mistakes. Okay, fine. We got to name them though. Yeah. And not only name them, but we have to ask even more than the mistake, the more difficult question, which is why? Mm -hmm. So we made a mistake when we bound the consciences of our people by telling them to cover their faces. Okay, fine why mm -hmm. what's underneath it and that's the that's the difficult word and and that's for for me as a lay a layman that's been the most discouraging part of this entire two and a half years is we've had men in leadership in in the churches across this nation 
um, and in the world, frankly, who have just been recalcitrant. They're not willing. They're not willing to look back to examine their behavior, to examine what they did and make an honest assessment of that and, and be honest and humble and open about that. And maybe, so you guys are both pastors. You sit in counseling rooms with members of your church that come to you. They have disputes for various different reasons, um, quite often in marriages. So if somebody is, has wronged a party how is forgiveness and reconciliation biblically sought? Like, let's remove the context and let's just lay out the principles and then see if, okay, are we actually in the context that would actually make pandemic amnesty appropriate? Because I think if we just lay out biblical principles of forgiveness from a perspective of just biblical counseling, um, I think that really just highlights why this call to to just forget um, is inappropriate if it's not followed by true repentance, open admission of sin, and the like. So, what are some principles? I don't. You, either of you can jump on this, but maybe start with Alex, and then Andrew, you can jump there. What are some principles that we just have to keep in mind uh, when we're thinking of biblical forgiveness and reconciliation between parties? Well, the first, I mean, we would say that Christians don't think about amnesty. We think about atonement. And so mm. we, we acknowledge that there's always a consequence to our sin. I mean, part of the original lie and the descent, the fall of our um, parents and the fall of our entire race is owing to the fact that we want to deny consequences. And this is a temptation of the devil to Eve. You know, you, you shall not surely die. God says this is a garden. A garden of yes, one tree of no, you know, the day you eat of it, you will die. There's consequences to your actions. You are responsible creatures. And the devil uh, seeks to cloud that and shroud that and say, no, there's actually not going to be these consequences for you. We see that Adam, when he's called on his sin, he seeks to get away from his consequences by blaming Eve, knowing that the penalty for her disobedience is death. You know, the woman made me do it. And what we see God do in the beginning of scripture and the whole story of scripture is him making atonement for our consequences. He clothed them in animals, uh, showing that blood must be shed, that their cause, the wages of sin is death. And so Christians have to begin by saying that all of our failures, all of our sins always have consequences. And therefore we need to know, like, how do we get out of them? The ultimate consequence is death, and the solution is the gospel, which is the death of Jesus Christ in the place of sinners. And the way that we experience reconciliation to God is through repentance and forgiveness from God. And I would say horizontally between one another by acknowledging that we have wronged one another, by confessing our sin and being forgiven. The problem with amnesty is, it's a refusal to actually acknowledge the wrongdoing and it removes the opportunity for genuine forgiveness. And it's this illusion that there can be um, a consequence less world. We can just move on. We can just forget. And we, we all know that this is just not true. We all know that our sins and our failures, our shortcomings don't disappear until the ether, that they have consequences, even eternal ones. And so I think I think just very plainly, Christians need to reject this kind of thinking that seeks reconciliation without an atonement as pagan spirituality. Um, as it relates to pastors, I mean, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for their unwillingness to see what was plain. And he says in Luke twelve fifty six, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Um, there was admittedly confusion about the nature of the virus for maybe a couple months. Um, but there's so many things that Christians should have known. And the reason that Jesus calls some hypocrites is they possess the faculties to determine the weather and they don't use those same faculties to know other things. 
and they don't want to know those other things because they're probably morally culpable. They probably would have to repent. They would have to turn to the Lord and humble themselves. So they actually refuse to exercise the same faculties uh, when it comes to their own lives. I mean, the, the, the writer in The Atlantic is given the example of, you know, her, her family outside using masks. And uh, this is a, almost saying, like, now we know that was absurd. It's like we have always known it's absurd. I just I read a letter that was written by a faculty member to the the, the board of UBC, and he's he's quoting the um, Canadian pandemic influenza plan for the health sector from 2006. Right. And, and he's quoting, he says, although there is a lack of evidence that the use of masks prevented transmission of influenza during previous pandemics. Um, it basically goes on to say that there's there's no evidence to suggest using masks for the influenza will work. And there's no there's no secret to this. You don't need to run a study. Aerosols pass through cloth. Um, so it's like it's the biggest gaslight ever to say that we, we did not know we had no responsibility to know. And now that we do, let's move on. And, yeah. And, and it's also not true that we're only able to see these things in hindsight with just talking yeah. about it, some of us have exercised those faculties that God gave us to, to use foresight to say, yeah. Hey, the nature of what's going on between church and state, this is yeah. going to set a precedent that is going to last a lifetime. Hey, yeah. The way that the state is tre treating the household, all these different spheres of authority, this is going to change the nature of, of life in Canada. Um, aside from all the COVID stuff, people were able to see this because people were applying biblical principles to what was coming down the pike. And that's the thing that surprised me so, so much as a layperson. You know, I've imbibe these biblical principles that I thought were truths, especially of the reformed mm -hmm. faith were all about looking at scripture, determining principles in which to live our lives in accordance to, to Christ. And we just didn't apply those basic, basic principles that we all heard R.C. Sproul talk about in Ligonier or that, that we've heard uh, from, you know, Kuiper or whatever. Our mm -hmm. reformed heroes have laid down this legacy. They gave us a bunch of principles and how to live life so we can discern the times biblically. And it's like instead of pulling those principles down off the top shelf and putting them in action, we left them on the shelf and pretended like, oh, this is so new. This is so novel. We have no idea what we're dealing with. And it's just not true. There's nothing new under the sun. And we ought to have, as you said, Alex, been able to discern the time, especially those who are in positions of church leadership, who are to be the watchmen on the wall, who have the response, they bear the responsibility for the people that they're there to defend. They were unable to do those things. And I, that's, it's just not true that we're only able to know this stuff in hindsight. No. Some I, people have been able to discern this stuff in foresight by what? Not because they're prophets or sons of prophets, but because they're applying biblical principles to their lives, period. I think a couple, maybe a couple examples would be helpful. Um, even if we acknowledge that there were, that it took some catching up to do as far as the, the data um, regarding COVID and its effects, etc., um, we could say right off the bat that there are things that every Christian leader should have known. And I've said publicly that I, I whiffed this one initially, that um, I came into the pandemic totally unprepared. I thought I was prepared theologically, and thankfully I've got good men around me and my co-elders, and um, I listened to good men, but, but you know, we locked down initially, so I'm, I'm not at all, um, you know, like pumping my chest here that I had to repent to our church as well. These are the things we should have known though. One, a biblical view of humanity. If who else can give a biblical um, view of what is essential to human life, but the church and what the church should have said, irregardless of your view of politics is that this, um, reduction of what is essential to human life and flourishing to safety from biological threat is profoundly dehumanizing 
and will have far-reaching consequences. And the church should have advocated loudly um, that human beings do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from above. And I actually heard pastors saying early on, well, you, you don't need to go to the, you know, you can live without going to church, but you can't live without going to the grocery store. And I'm like, bro, that's literally the opposite of what Jesus said. Like, <laughs> you, you can't live without bread, and you can't live without God and his word. And basically... We're just approaching human beings as being simple... Materialists. Uh, utilitarian, mm-hmm. utilitarian units where all that matters is that our biological life is sustained by making sure we have the minimum caloric intake and enough water so we don't dehydrate mm-hmm. and neglecting the fact that human beings have other things that don't just make life pleasant, um, but that, that make life and, and, and actual flourishing essential. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's, and, and just neglecting these things altogether and saying, no, as long as we don't get sick and die and we, 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 we have the essential services, but mm-hmm. the truth is that what what do we see? Well, put humans in isolation. They humans don't need human interaction <laughs> to live. No, yes, they do. Well, we when you have a biblical understanding of of humanity, when you have a well, biblical anthropology. Yeah, and that's that's technically true as well. I mean, my father died in twenty twenty one in long term care. He had early onset dementia. I didn't see him for six months until he died, and um, we know. For example, that putting people in, with dementia in isolation significantly decreases their longevity. So, mm-hmm. literally, people just start to die by being isolated. Yeah. You add it's that. It's not good mask. for man to be alone. <laughs> yeah, it's like this isn't rocket science. And the church no. should have been, regardless of your view of Romans thirteen, even if you felt yeah. that you needed to comply, you should have been prophetically, compassionately, clearly articulating a view of humanity. The other thing is. Are, are we not the reform guys? Like total depravity is is kind of our jam. Um, the functional Pelagianism that exists in the church, whereby we deny that a certain class of human is above the effects of the fall, namely the expert class, mm-hmm. is absolutely absurd. Like there is a place for respectful deference, even a necessity yeah. for that. Uh, but the total abdication of all responsibility to know and discern anything mm-hmm. um, to people who think men are women, who think you should kill <laughs> little humans in their mothers, who should chop off the genitals and the breasts of healthy people, mm. is, it's also, is just a contradiction. Yeah, it's also violative of, of biblical principles. Again, Paul chastises the Corinthians for going to external uh, legal courts to judge matters because he says, yeah. you guys have what you need. You have the scripture, you have the word of God. You're going to be judging angels. Yeah. Why would you go out? Why would you lobotomize yourself, mm-hmm. not understand biblical forgiveness and, and, and reconcile each other within the church? Why would you go to outside courts? That same principle can be moved forward into why aren't you using the faculties that you've been given by God, the word that you have, that's, that's, you know, clear, it's perspicuous. Why are you not using that to judge the signs of the time? You know, instead we've just, you know, had that deference, unthinking deference to this, this, this class. And also, as you guys were talking about the, the prioritization of biotic life over, you know, anything else over the last two and a half years, it struck the ire, the irony of it struck me because in the email that you read, Andrew, the, the man who's writing against, you know, the trouble makers like us, he says, you know, these things, these freedoms are all ephemeral, but it's, it's not lost on me that he's a part of the side who has prioritized what the Bible would say is ephemeral, which is this life, this body, the bread that mm-hmm. pa- that rots, right? That molds, mm-hmm. that, that, that decays. And what is not ephemeral is the spiritual things, mm-hmm. the, the, the word of God, the gathering and the communion of the saints. Those things are eternal and they take 
precedence over all these other things. So mm-hmm. that just, again, highlights the irony and the hypocrisy of all this stuff that's gone on. And it just big, it, it boggles the mind mm-hmm. how we could get this all so upside down. It's truly, truly unbelievable. Yeah, I so think... I wanna, I, I, go ahead. Sorry, no, go, Alex, you go. Well, I just, I think, you know... It's just a stain on the church. And that's why I think he so furiously tries to repaint a narrative whereby he fails to acknowledge the oppression of the state. It's almost as if it's just an inconvenience that some impatient people couldn't deal with. Um, You know, like, like they found my dad laying in face down pool of his own blood. And we went to sing by his window that was open four inches and they said that we had to close it and he can't speak. He's, he has dementia. And this is the experience of many people. My friend overdosed in a park and the people who've been affected by this are not the zoom class. Um, It's the people on the bottom. It's the elderly who have been literally tortured to death in long-term care. And it's been the, you know, the family that's lost their jobs and their homes over a medical decision. It's been the the families that will never, apart from God's grace, be repaired through division. It's hundreds of millions of people thrust into abject poverty throughout the world because of our insane policies that part, I think the particular heinousness of this evil is it's a willful turning of the eye against those who are oppressed and it's a siding with the oppressors and i think reform guys don't like using that language because we fear social justice and woke stuff and but the bible god cares that his people are just and um the greatest stain on the church has been that we have sided with oppressors and we have sided against the oppressed and god um, will not hold us guiltless for that. And the way back is not amnesty, it's atonement. And the, the, the unwillingness to, to admit that the support and encouragement of various practices and policies is what led to that devastation you just said. Yeah. When what they were trying to defend has proven to be utterly useless, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's get it out here. So here they're saying... Okay, so the masks did nothing. The lockdowns, in terms of positively affecting mm-hmm. the spread and the virus, the masks did nothing, the lockdowns did nothing, the jabs did nothing, all of the all of the all of the the laws did nothing mm-hmm. in terms of actually affecting in a good way the virus. But here's what they did do: they ruined lives, devastated economies, and have forever reshaped our culture in a way that we can never go back where individuals Mm -hmm. suffered. And so people have to say, I supported policies that didn't actually accomplish what I was told they were were going to accomplish. And by supporting these policies, these measures, these practices, what I actually ended up supporting was something that did significantly more damage, irreversible Mm -hmm. damage. And people are unwilling to say... Right, that could that was that it in was many foreseen. ways it was known, and it's it again. It's not because anyone's a prophet, but simply because we have, we just have a historical understanding of viruses and sicknesses. We just know this stuff because we've known this stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. So people have to say, or what people are being faced with, and this is why the cry is for amnesty. What people are faced with is what I backed did no good and did more damage. And all the people who were saying, guys, this is going to do way, even if it does some good, it's going to do way more damage than good. Those people are now called all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. And so not only are they being called that now, but there's something else that I want to to say before that, I just want to read the beginning from the, the quote here. I want to get into the specifics of the Atlantic article. And Alex, you referenced this already. This is after she talks about we were hiking outdoors and some person came too close to my son and my son yelled social distancing like a like that kid is is messed up <laughs> and that's his, his the article the writer of this article that's on her this is what she yeah. says Bad these precautions were totally misguided <laughs> right in april 2020 
no one got, sorry, not just April in 2020, in the history of respiratory illnesses, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. It was non-existent. (laughs) Our cloth mask made made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is this. We didn't know. Now, there's there's two thoughts to that. One we've talked about, and one that I want to kind of I want us to lead or want to lead into the next bit of this discussion. No, some people didn't know, but there are some people who did know. Fine. Number one. Number two, the people who claimed to know and then said something about it. And this is the part that she never really addresses in the article. How were they treated? That's the real issue. The real issue is not what we did or didn't know. The real issue is not supporting this policy, not supporting this policy. The real issue is those that said, no, wait a minute, I did know. I tried to tell you how were they treated back then. And that's why there can be no quote unquote amnesty unless that is that is dealt with. It's one thing if you say I'm wrong. Fine, <laughs> yeah. say I'm wrong. Okay. It's one thing to... but. It's another thing to then say about and treat a certain way people who had the audacity to say, well, actually, I did know masks don't work. Like, we've, mm-hmm. we've known that forever. Yeah. Spike Cohen, Andrew, had a great tweet. I don't really know much about Spike Cohen, but I thought it was hilarious. And he said, they went from we are the science to please forgive us. We had no way of knowing awfully quickly and that's the reality of the situation um the the tact of the the side that would be declaring pandemic amnesty now or seeking that was not oh hey there was a good dialogue between both sides but both sides after their case was heard it, we we went in this direction but oh now that we're re- reassessing the situation it turns out we just didn't know we made some mistakes let's forgive and forget no it was shut up they 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 insisted right that that, that was that was their tact right and we what, what we saw we've already touched on it on the program is they worked government uh big tech uh, the medical industrial complex, they all worked hand in hand with each other to suppress any views outside of the ones that they were putting forth. So that is what happened. That's what took took place. And so it's not as though like both sides got a hearing and it was even handed. And, oh, now we kind of in hindsight understand that we should have approached things differently. It was you shut up, you lose your job, you go away, you lose basic human rights and freedoms, or you parrot our narrative like the, the little kid in the story. That's a, that's a member of a cult, right? That's, that's a fully indoctrinated member of a cult, and that's how they behave. Mm-hmm. And that's the really sad part is so many people, they, they, they drank the Kool-Aid. And anybody who was saying, hey, there's poison in that Kool-Aid – don't do it. They were ostracized, vilified, and basically shut down from civic life and civic conversation. So, but that, not in the church, right? That only <laughs> well, happened in the world. Yeah, right? I wish happen. that were the case. I wish. Well, that Joe were Boot, the, case. The, the famous article that yeah. never got published, and Joe Boot wrote an article. The TGC was going to. They'd asked him to write an article specifically about some of these issues, mm-hmm. and he wrote it. And then they chose not to actually release it. Yeah, because uh, because it didn't a, follow their narrative. You that's wouldn't, a bad look. You wouldn't well, want to have competed narratives. <laughs> well, what what? Yeah, the author contradicts herself because she says, you know, we need to forgive each other for what we did while we were in the dark. But I saw another commentator say, "There's nothing about your actions that suggested that you thought you were in the dark." Uh, mm-hmm. That would have been fine, actually. That would have been a good thing if you acted as though you were in the dark. If you were in a cave. You don't sprint, you know, as fast as you can yeah. in any direction. You carefully, you listen, you look, you feel, you um, take patience and exercise diligence. And any sliver of light that you see, you head towards it. It's mm-hmm. just straight up deceitful. It's a it's a bold-faced lie to say that we were yeah. in the dark. Um, 
you did not act like someone pulled it. out a flashlight yeah. and then what they did is they punched that person in the face and not only that don't go that way there's a cliff there ah what are you talking not about only that, they Andrew, hit us. not only that but they they punched that guy in the face shut off his flashlight strapped everybody their backs and then ran full speed into the wall mm-hmm. you know of the cave like that's essentially what we're dealing with um yeah i mean a very good point alex Another another really bad way the church screwed up is by surrendering to a secularist totalitarian state, um, at least in their attitudes, a view of what the public good is. And mm. I had this conversation years, I mean, a year or two ago with someone who suggested that um, all matters of public safety were state matters. That was God's, the jurisdiction for them, their, their jurisdiction of responsibility. And that we were not even permitted to question them as such. I mean, that's obviously an authoritarian thing. No human authority is um, above questioning. Only God is. Uh, but I, I pushed back and said, well, what about when they um, tell you that your speech is a matter of public safety? Because literally right now we have legislation in Canada that uses language about public safety and harm. And our government very clearly understands, yeah, Bill C-4. Uh, what about when climate becomes a matter of public safety and basically, yeah, well, exactly. So then, and then Christians should have been able to stand up and say, look, the public safety is a junk drawer term that encompasses all of life, which is why totalitarians use it. They know this. The church just doesn't. Yeah, exactly. So, so we should, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, lobbing people's heads up. So we should have said, look, public safety is a joint concern. It's a concern of the state. And as far as they bear the sword, uh, it's a concern for the church. And as much as we bear the sword of God's word, it's a concern of the individual and their responsibilities. It's a concern of the family. Um, there are many spheres or covenantal areas that God has ordained for the upkeep of public safety. And it's not all relegated to one sphere, namely the state. And the fact that Christians in Canada just surrendered to this totalitarian impulse um, was why we had vax mandates, you know, because we'd already said, well, we have no responsibility here. It's all you and you have total authority to do what you need to do. We could have done all of these things without knowing anything about COVID. We should have just said, look, the family is still real. The family still make this. Like, you remember when we were literally public health units were telling parents to lock four-year-olds and three-year-olds in a room for two weeks? Isolate in your own house. And, like, people on Twitter were saying, it's so sad. I hear them crying. It's breaking my mommy heart. It's like, you're a psycho. And, and that's literal child abuse. But that's what happens when people think that the state has ultimate authority over any and all issues related to public safety. It's idolatry, and the church just should have rejected that. Yeah, and and it's just it's dawned on me too. Like I've been I've been reading significantly um, over the past two and a half years, and it's amazing to me how many men, especially kind of on the verge of the twentieth century, this kind of modern area, ha- like men like C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, a bunch of these men. They were putting their finger on the greatest enemy that the Church of Jesus Christ is going to face. I mean, R.J. Rushduni's part of it um, is this gigantic behemoth of the secular state. And that is, they were warning, they were raising alarm bells, and it's as though nobody ever listened to them. And when we see this just the most authoritarian um, power grab by the state in not only our lifetimes, but perhaps, you know, in, in millennia, we see that coming down and the church is totally silent about it. Mm-hmm. And even that conversation you have with somebody, if, if the state was truly responsible for public health, why don't we see that as a, as a strong Christian doctrine through history, because through history, we understand that healthcare, that welfare has been generally the purview of the family. Right. Um, So 
it, it, from a Christian biblical uh, kind of lens. So why is that the way that Christians have been dealing with this for millennia? And it's only now that, you know, we're, we're well past the progressive area era and this bureaucratic technocratic state. Why now are we as Christians saying, oh, this is actually the appropriate way to do it when it's been ushered in by people who have an antichrist worldview and not mm -hmm. a biblical framework to understand different spheres of authority and st stuff like that. We, we haven't thought biblically in these areas and we've paid mm -hmm. the price significantly for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to read uh, another quote here from the Atlantic article. And then uh, she, she makes a suggestion and Alex, I want to get your thoughts because I'm quite certain um, you disagree with her as anyone who's reasonable should. <laughs> Um, the people who got it right, for whatever reason, may want to gloat. Now, just right away, that's a, that's a caricature, mm -hmm. right? There's a difference between saying, man, I told you this. I told you this would happen. And na-na-na-na-boo-boo. -boo. And what mm -hmm. she's saying is, oh, that's all they want to do is a na-na-na-na-boo-boo. -boo, when, no, what we're saying is, behold the devastation. Anyways, they may want to gloat. Those who got it wrong, for whatever reason, may feel defensive and retrench into a position that doesn't accord with the facts. All of this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up a lot of social energy and drive the culture wars, especially on the internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. So I'll just stop right there and say, but necessary. Mm -hmm. They're heated, they're, they're unpleasant, but they are thoroughly productive if we're actually trying to get to the truth. Let's continue here. Um, in the face of so much uncertainty, getting something right had a hefty element of luck. So thank you for saying, well, I mean, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. That's what, she, that's what she's saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, so you were right about stuff, but I mean, a broken clock is right twice. Unless it's a military clock, then it's right only once. Mm -hmm. But anyways... Um, and similarly, getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing. No, what you did with it was. Here's, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the, 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 the last quote. Treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which some people racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward. But that's not what we're doing. And so what is really preventing us from moving forward, Alex? Because we're not doing that. Well, no, some might be, but that's not a Christian response. Right. So we, we what, can say what is preventing it, us from moving forward. It's more of a straw man for sure. Yeah. What's preventing us from moving forward is taking responsibility. And um, the two she she deceitfully frames a narrative as if uh, the only two sides are those who got things wrong and don't want to admit it or those who are right and are sinfully boastful about it uh, and and lucky. And there's. There's actually no reason why, you know, no legitimate reason why they're right and no legitimate reason why the other people are wrong. Um, it's just a, it's all at the root of it. It's an abdication of responsibility and we need to reject it. It's deceitful. It's lying. And we need to say, no, as Christians, we need to not only ourselves and the church be honest and take responsibility for our shortcomings, our failings. Um, we need to encourage those who are making the decisions to do so uh, as well. But yeah, that's, that's, that's all this is, is just a total unwillingness to take responsibility that maybe the reason you made bad decisions is because you're ignorant. Maybe, I mean, if your child was yelling at people to stay away, like you are probably um, unduly afraid. And that's, that seems pretty self-apparent. And maybe you were more driven by fear. Um, maybe you, cannot stand the thought that your guild is not omniscient and maybe you find it deeply unsettling that the authority structures that you've come to trust and the institutions that you place your trust in are not entirely trustworthy and you need to tell yourself some lie like it's just sheer luck that the other side was right and there's no real uh, reason why we got it wrong except for it was a novel situation and um, again, because to go down that rabbit hole is to perhaps open up uh, a can of worms that they don't want to. It's to awaken yourself to some very dark and troubling realities. But again, 
this is what humans do apart from God is they, they can't be honest. They can't be honest with their sin. They can't be honest. They suppress the truth. They can't say, uh, but be honest with the danger. <laughs> yeah. How many times am I going to ask that question? Yeah. But not in the church, right? Certainly not there. And I want to piggyback on that because I think it's interesting too. Like it's evident that she doesn't have a biblical under, when you talk about what what's not needed is amnesty, it's atonement. Well, we know from scripture that sins of commission uh, are not the only sins. It's sins of omission yeah. and they're sins of ignorance, right? There, there's literally in the Old Testament sacrificial system, there was sins, there was offerings of atonement that you had to make for sins that you didn't even know you committed, Well, right? So even in oh, the wisdom literature, though, the simple person, we never talk about this one. We talk yeah. about the fool and the wise man, but the writer of Proverbs talks about the simple. And the mm. simple is someone who is willfully ignorant and naive, and their naivety leads them to moral failure. So we yeah. think of the son with the adulterer. Um, the father doesn't come to the son in his simpleness and tell him, look, kid, uh, you were ignorant and naive. We'll let it slide. We were in the dark about this one. She was super hot and it happens. What he says is, you should have known, and here I will teach you. But the point is that we have a moral duty to know. We have a moral responsibility to seek wisdom, to seek knowledge, to seek understanding. How long, simple ones, will you love being simple? And you know what? We love being simple because if you can be simple and willfully ignorant, naive, you can avoid responsibility. And, and if you have a worldview that says, oh, you're not culpable for being willfully ignorant, yeah. Yeah. therefore we can just gloss things over, yeah. that allows you to write an article that without acknowledging, uh, really acknowledging any culpability on your part, you say, let's forgive and forget. And that's the, the reality of the situation. Biblical uh, forgiveness comes from a, being a being the atonement from mm -hmm. having the atonement of Jesus Christ applied to your account, mm -hmm. which comes through the act of repentance and mm -hmm. faith mm -hmm. and, and a turning, right? A metanoia to repentance, turning from that sin, acknowledging that culpability, that wrong, and then turning a, a from that sin towards Christ. It has to come through that. So you have to acknowledge your sin, not just vague general sins that you're a sinner. You, you have to acknowledge your actual sins and then seek forgiveness for them. And that's the beauty of biblical forgiveness is mm -hmm. there is amnesty or the same root word as amnesia, right? There is a forgetting. There is a a, a, a zeroing of the accounts if you're willing to humble yourself enough to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in christ he will gloss over those sins he will mm -hmm. take your your ragged robes off you and put the righteous robes of jesus christ on you he mm -hmm. will make you pure he will send your sins as far as the east is away from the net or the west he will cast them in a pit of forgetfulness yeah. that's the beauty of it but it only comes through repentance and seeking that in reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as, as Christians, we ought not to miss another opportunity to bring biblical principles to bear in real life instances. So people mm -hmm. can be discipled in what true forgiveness and reconciliation ought to look like. And I, mm -hmm. I fear that we're not only have we missed it over the two and a half years, but now as we're doing the post-mortem of this situation, we're going to miss it again. Yeah. Let me read one last quote from this, um, from this article here, this pandemic amnesty. Uh, and then Alex, I'm going to, I'm going to get you to, to give your, your biblically informed thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. And this is really the end of the article. Mm -hmm. The standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. I, 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 I just, I just read that and I realized isn't that exactly what we've been saying for the last two and a half years? Like that kind of seems like everything I've been saying about the look at what happens when a state has too much power and when the yeah. people are driven by fear. Anyways, okay, right, that's true, <laughs> right? But dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to a repetitive doom loop as well. Let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices. Notice the 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 the, the glossing over. Yeah. We made complicated choices 
in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together. And she even says build back. Like she can't avoid her globalist WEF build back better language, right? Together we can build back and move forward. So Alex, this is my question. Is the acknowledgement of complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty how we're going to move forward? Is that it? That's all that's that's all we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty. Can, let's just move is let's move forward together. Is that is that it? No, I mean I mean we we would all affirm that there are times and seasons where you do make complicated decisions in a time of uncertainty that's the problem is not that that is a, a a real moral category it absolutely is again back to what we said that's not what happened and and what she's doing is she's just incapable of acknowledging reality she just she cannot deal with the weight of failure which apart from the grace of christ we can't right we have to somehow lie and blame and deceive and repaint the whole picture in a way that that um basically lets us cope with our shortcomings and that's what she's doing so she's trying to say this was a situation of complicated decisions in a difficult time and no it wasn't um it was intentional deception it was willful ignorance it was maliciousness it was foolishness it was oppression it was a lot of things um, and a little bit of that as well. And the, the path forward is repentance, is saying, look, being honest about what we've done, being honest about what we haven't done, the sins of omission as well, and asking for forgiveness from the people that we've wronged. What this person, what public health could do is say this. This is what public health should do. Look, um, we gave in to fear. We gave in to our love of power. We gave in to the arrogant human desire for authority that we should not try and possess we gave in to um a hatred for humanity and those who differ from us uh we gave in to the idolatrous notion that we are um omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and thought that we could control things we couldn't and we neglected our responsibilities to our citizens and we are sorry for that and we ask for your forgiveness and what pastors need to do is say, look, because of our unwillingness to take responsibility, because of our fear of the consequences of doing so, because of our biblical ignorance and our um, spiritual immaturity, and because of a variety of factors, we've failed our churches. And we need to seek your forgiveness for those things. And by God's grace and with his help, walk in repentance, bearing the fruit in keeping with repentance and this this is the only way and again this isn't a vindictive thing this isn't a like sticking it to you kind of thing this is a gospel issue is it what is the path for reconciliation what is the path to making up for sins to dealing with sin to dealing with shortcomings and wrongdoing and there is only one answer and the only answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it requires that we tell the truth about us, about others, about what we've done. And we will freely, no one comes to him and is sent away. We will freely be forgiven, but only on those terms. So I don't, I don't see this even being a pandemic thing. This is a gospel issue. Will the church preach and practice the gospel? Mm. Amen, brother. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on and giving us your wisdom. And it's always so great to be joined by a brother in Christ to think through these very, very important issues and how to apply the gospel, as you just said, to our daily lives, to the real relationships that we mm -hmm. have, to, to real difficulties we have. And I just want to say, Andrew, you wrote an article about... Um, attitudes of about unity about the, this kind of spirit that we have to as those who have prophetically called this stuff 
for what it is, have to humble ourselves and, and not be boastful, not have a spirit of, mm-hmm. of uh, wicked boastfulness, but be humble and ready to forgive. And that's what we want to leave with yeah. our listeners. If you've been wrong, call your dear friends and family to repentance, mm-hmm. preach the good news of reconciliation and full forgiveness of Christ, and then be able to, in love, cover over their sins of to course. actually to actually apply that, to show mm-hmm. them the grace that they didn't show you mm-hmm. by saying, your sins are forgiven. We're fully united together in Christ. Mm-hmm. We're reconciled, and let's move forward in that spirit. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to be really ready and quickly able to do. Let's keep short accounts, everybody, Mm -hmm. but only through repentance, admission of sins, and then seeking forgiveness in Christ. Mm -hmm. Let's apply biblical principles of forgiveness to this situation. And yes, let's move forward Mm -hmm. in unity Mm -hmm. and let's stand firm on the gospel. That's what Mm -hmm. we want. And it's not a punitive thing. It's not falling into this trap of, um, this this false dichotomy that the the writer from the Atlantic lays out. No, mm-hmm. this is an option that outside of Christ, I don't even think she has the Velcro strips in her mm-hmm. in her brain for right mm-hmm. that somebody can actually repent, humble themselves, and then fully and freely be forgiven. Mm-hmm. But anyways, Alex, thanks so much for coming on, Andrew. I'm thankful to get the privilege of being able to do podcasts with a faithful man of God who's leading his church day in and day out and in calling to mind these important things as well. So I'm just glad that I get to be a part of conversations like this with you, with y'all. Um, Alex, how can people get uh, in touch with you? How can they see what you're do what you're up to, what your church is doing and stay up to date with all things, Alex Klusterman? Yeah, because you have a Substack, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that <laughs> aforementioned Substack. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have a Substack for Dominion Press. Um, Dominion Press is Substack dot com. We have a Substack for our church, Hill City Baptist Substack, and uh, I'm on Twitter. You can just search my name, and uh, yeah, Hill City Baptist is the church. But uh, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Thankful for what you're doing and the cause of. Not not just liberty, but liberty in Christ. And we pray for um, we do pray for reconciliation and for the unity of the body and for a greater gospel witness. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 liberty in Christ bit is important, too, because we we will rob our brothers and sisters of real freedom and real joy if all we give them is a half pseudo forgiveness and mm-hmm. th- th- this is this is what's important about this is that real forgiveness is the confession of real sins and then the repentance over real sins and then the real forgiveness is offered Amen. but if we just say to someone oh don't worry that don't worry about it we're we'll move on you're not actually giving them real forgiveness which mm-hmm. means they haven't received it mm-hmm. which means like the scriptures say blesses the man whose sins have been forgiven mm-hmm. We're actually robbing brothers and sisters of the real joy mm-hmm. of knowing that their sins aren't counted against them mm-hmm. and the real peace that comes from being forgiven. And so it's less loving mm-hmm. and it's less gracious and it does more harm. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. May we be people who will seek forgiveness as it's needed and and give forgiveness freely yeah. uh, and, and without limitation when it is sought honestly. So... Amen. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us on this special pandemic amnesty uh, edition of the Liberty <laughs> Dispatch. Um, as we say always, Galatians 5.1. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.libertycoalitioncanada.com.